Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. There's a term that's been coming to me, uh, and it reverberated in my heart today, and I want to share it with you, and I want to share it with you in a way that might be a sermon, it may not. Uh, it, it, in whatever way I, I'm able to convey it to you, I, I just simply want to share with you the Lord uh, put this term in my heart today, and that is standing in the gap. We want to be people that stand in the gap. Pray with me. I want to share with you out of Ezekiel chapter 22 tonight. Father, we thank you for your word, and God, we come to you tonight. We're asking you for grace to live out what your word teaches. And I pray that you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, our desire, our true one desire is to follow you. And I pray that you would use tonight in our time together to stir us to be the people that are a people of prayer. That we are a house of prayer for all the nations. That is the true, um, that is what the church is about. Because we know that you have a will and you have an agenda. And we want your will, to, want, we want your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so as we pray that, we ask that you would reveal that and our part in that. And so would you provoke us and use this, these words that I believe you put in my heart to st stir us on to be a people of prayer. Not just to convince us that it's important, but that you would bring us to the place where we're doing that more than ever in our life. And I thank you for your people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Ezekiel chapter 22, I'm going to share with you uh, two verses that are not quite that encouraging, but I'm going to use them to encourage you. In fact, the book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, if you read it and you... Um, you want to be provoked, you want to be stirred, and uh, you want to have an emotional roller coaster. You go ahead and read from the prophet Ezekiel. And I want to tell you that this chapter, chapter 22, it opens with God giving instructions to the prophet Ezekiel to confront Jerusalem and the land of Judah for all their sin, sin of idolatry, sin of immorality, sin of exploitation and cruelty, um, sin of, of violence, I would actually say. And the last three kings of Judah were evil in the eyes of the Lord. That was the summation of their life, Manasseh and two other kings. They had led the, the, the people of Judah into such a place where they were devastated and full of idolatry. We're talking about a time that is ten times worse than what we know today. And that is no exaggeration. We're talking about the people of God and the temple of the Lord. There's prostitution in the house of God. There's other God worship, pagan worship in the house of the Lord, not just some other place, not some high place or low place where altars were built, but right on in the temple of the Lord. And the Lord speaks to Ezekiel and he tells him to go confront. And he, he asks him a question in the beginning of Ezekiel 22. He said, will anyone judge my people? Will you speak this word of judgment? It's a it starts as a provocation to the prophet himself. And, and I would tell you that it does not only unfold a judgment that God 
is inevitably going to bring to the people of Judah and also of Israel at this time. But if you read the next 10 chapters, it is an unfolding of judgments toward all the other nations. But it starts with the people of Judah. It starts with those that are stewards of God's house in Jerusalem. And so it begins there, but it unfolds in judgment to other nations. I told you it's not encouraging. And you don't really get to the hope that God wants to bring to the people until chapter 36. So I just want to give you a teaser of, of that which is to come should you read the book of Ezekiel. But I want to share with you a passage that as you understand the context or at least a, a sort of bird's eye view, God's going to unfold this judgment through the prophet and he makes this comment in verse 30. And I want to read it to you and I'll read the, the verse 31 as well. He said, this is God speaking, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me. Everybody say, stand before me. That's a powerful, powerful picture. I'm looking for someone that would stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land, talking about the people, so I would not have to destroy it to judge it, but I found no one. I want you to think about that. I don't want you and I to get out of that tonight. I want us to actually press into this comment right here. I couldn't find one. God was looking to pour out mercy. He is always a God of mercy. The Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. And there is a reason that people think the God of the Old Testament is a God of judgment and Thank God that Jesus came along and sort of shows the better side of our Heavenly Father. That is not true. The Bible reveals in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant that God was always a God of mercy. He so desired to pour out mercy that he was looking for just one. And there's story after story where God was simply looking for a person that would stand in the gap and pray. A person that would stand on behalf of others that had already given their hearts and their minds and their lives over to other gods and to other things that God had even warned his people against that this will happen should you follow this path. And he said, I could not find one, so I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their heads, their own heads, all they have done. I want you to take note of that. He's not merely bringing about some judgment that he was happy to deliver. He's saying, I will bring upon their own heads that which they have done. The consequences of their sin, the judgment that comes as a result of them not responding, not listening, not wanting, not repenting, and coming to me. God is saying this, and, and you have to hear it as, as like the heart of a father that longs for his children to come back, longs for his children to be gathered together and share in places and times of fellowship and refreshing and renewal. This is our God. Our God is good. Our God is merciful. Our God is full of loving kindness. This is, this is who he is. And so when we read about this, we should not read about his fiery anger and his wrath because that's not the focus. The focus is that he couldn't find one. And so judgment was inevitable. And I've taught you before, and I'm going to say it again, that judgment is the last resort of a loving God. And I believe that when we read something like this, I'm hoping and praying tonight that the Lord would release something in our hearts. I'm asking God to release in our hearts this place of intercession. Last week we prayed over those that carried a burden of intercession. And I want to keep 
pressing down this road of becoming a house of prayer. Because I believe and you believe that prayer changes things. We're talking about in the scriptures where it says that he's a God that can move mountains. He's a God that can remove mountains. And that's a metaphoric and it's an illustration of just how powerful God is. That nothing stands in God's way. Yes, things may stand in our way. But when we stand before God, look what it says. He's looking for one to stand before me. He's not asking for us merely to stand before the problem and just simply address it. He's saying one that would stand before me, one that would stand in the gap. And I believe that the Lord is still looking for people that will stand in the gap. What is the gap? The Bible talks about the gap in the book of Isaiah in Jeremiah as well as Ezekiel, 2 Chronicles. This word gap, this term, this phrase, it's mentioned. There are people who would stand in the gap. God uses it with his prophets. The gap is the distance between the way things are and the way things could be if God moved. The gap is the distance between prayer and no prayer. It's the realm of possibility that the Lord can do what we cannot. It's that which God's strength can bring about. It's as the people stand between that which is true and that which we know can be true. It's that place where God's people plant themselves and say, I can't, but he can. And I'm going to cry out until he does. We're talking about the gap. The gap is often filled with all kinds of discouragement and demonic opposition and lies to keep us from being there and being a people that stand there and stay there. God is looking for a people to stand in the gap and contend in prayer for his mercy to come. We must choose, though, to stand in the gap. This is a choice that we make as his people. He longs for us to do so, but it is a choice that we make. And I believe that we are in a time where we have to choose what kind of people we're going to be. I think people are making choices right now that are going to affect They're echoing into the next unfolding years of who it is that they're choosing to be. People are, we are planting ourselves into our posture. We're planting ourselves into a position. We're planting ourselves where it is that we are going to stand for a period of time. And I believe that God is calling people to stand in the gap and to do so on behalf of others, to do so on behalf of the church, to do so on behalf of unbelievers to do so on behalf of God's will unfolding and touching this generation? Are we going to be those who go with the crowd and commit the same sins of our generation, looking forward to a time where Jesus takes us out and continuing our appetite for the flesh? Are we going to be those people or are we going to set ourselves apart from the crowd? Are we going to move in a spirit of judgment where we can't wait for other people to get what they deserve because we are holy and set apart. And I talked to you last week. I don't know if you remember this, but the thought came to me about holiness. The word holiness means to be set apart. But I told you it wasn't about being set apart from people. It was about being set apart for God. And when you have that mentality, you understand, we understand that we're being set apart so that God can touch us and God can use us And we're useful in the hands of the master for every good work, for his glory and for his namesake. And that we have one life on earth to bring the most amount of glory to our glorious God. Are we going to set ourselves apart and in a spirit of judgment and a critical heart, 
just judge those that are not where we are or what we're like and become apathetic toward praying and sharing and reaching? Are we going to take up the labeling system? Or are we going to take labels off of people in prayer and say, you may look like this, but I know what you can look like because I have experienced the mercy of God. Come on. People that stand in the gap remember where they come from. People that stand in the gap know that they didn't deserve what they got. That Jesus poured out mercy and grace and we didn't deserve it and we can't earn it and we still can't. And we're so thankful that we're just looking forward to having other people enter in and share with us what we've gotten to freely eat from, people in the gap. Are we going to exercise a critical spirit and tell people what they are and what they're not and not do so from a biblical perspective, knowing that he makes all things new, knowing that the gospel changes people's hearts and lives and behaviors, but it starts with Jesus. Are we going to be people who escape from the mission that's in front of us? You know, escapism is becoming more normal in Christian circles now. People want to escape from Seattle. They want to move to a a better state. They want to move to a better place. And this might touch you a little bit, and I intend for it to do so. But I I want you to know something. Escapism, Escapism is not a theology. You don't find it in Scripture. Escapists, escape artists are not found in the gap. Now, it might be an enticing temptation right now. It might be a feeling. I want to move to this state and this city because the sense is that if we do, we won't have to deal with that thing that is telling us that we have to give everything to Jesus so that other people can have what we have. We are not going to get delivered from God. The one who said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and deny yourself every single day. We are not going to get delivered from God. You can move to whatever state you want and you are still going to have to take up the cross and deny self. We cannot be escapists. We have to be bold, fiery witnesses, people that stand in the gap, intercessors that are asking for God to pour out mercy on our land, no matter what it looks like right now. Come on, would you say this about yourself 10, 20 years ago? Would you say, oh man, that person's going to be sitting in church Wednesday, March 17th, listening to some guy talking about standing in the gap. And then after conclusion's going to come and we're going to stand and pray in Jesus' name and believe that God's going to do something about this crazy, chaotic world. Did you believe that about yourself 30, 40 years ago? Two years ago? And yet here you are. Come on, but for the grace of God, there you go. Can God do it? Look in the mirror sometimes and just tell yourself, knowing that you're speaking to him, he can do it. He can do it. But we've got to decide we're going to be people that stand in the gap. Christians are resilient. They're not afraid of the devil. They're not afraid of demonic spirits. They're not afraid of any kind of ideology They're not afraid of some demonic takeover because they already know what is written in the word. This is why we need to know the word. When you know the word and your mind is renewed, not just to some political jargon or some kind of some some rhetoric or narrative that comes from the mindset mindset of another escapist. Got to be careful who we listen to these days. It might sound soothing. It might sound like it's a healing balm, but it'll send you in the wrong place at the wrong time. The way of Christ 
sends us to our knees. The way of Christ puts us in the gap. The way of Christ says, you're an intercessor. And an imperfect world is job security for such a one. Are we going to become these bold witnesses that Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 talks about? But you, who's he talking to? The people that will stand in the gap. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. See, when you want to stand in the gap, you know what you need, and it doesn't come from you. People that are willing to plant themselves in a place where they're not comfortable because we understand that strength must come from God. We don't want to be these people that run, and I I understand the temptation. I'm not coming here to tell you that I'm amazing and you're not, and you need to be like me. No, no. I'm saying that we all get these feelings. We all have these thoughts. We all get these temptations, but we must resist them. We must refuse them because they're not the word of the Lord. When we know that God is looking for people that will not run when it gets hard, God is looking for people that will take up the way of the lamb. God is looking for people that will lend themselves to the purpose of God in an hour where people need us to be there the most. We've got choices to make. And casual Christianity will not do in an hour like now. I think you know that. I think every one of us is alive and well knowing the pulse of the situation requires more than being a casual person that shows up occasionally to what God is saying. God's calling us into more. He doesn't want us to go knee deep. He doesn't want us to go waist deep in the three-foot pool. He wants us to submerge ourselves, amen, drown the flesh and start swimming underwater like a fish. I mean, he is calling us deep into this thing because it's required. We've got choices to make. If we're going to pray and see a move of God touch our generation, there is no going back. We cannot go back to what the world was like in 2019. I'm not interested in going back. Now, I do want some things to balance out. Amen. And I'm telling you, I'm not a prophet, uh, but I would tell you I believe things are going to get better in some regard. But I'll also tell you that maybe the people of God getting better is not merely about our situation looking brighter. But what if it's about our Christianity becoming stronger. Now, I want to enjoy some things too. Pastor Ben, are you telling me I can't enjoy some stuff? Hey, listen, I'm sure in the last year you've tried to find some joy in the simple things. Sometimes it's very simple things. But we've got to find our joy in him and what he's doing. As the world, as I see it, is getting more chaotic. Um... It's a daughter of Sodom and Gomorrah, constantly buying into the things that God destroyed the ancient world for. We read about this. You know, God destroyed Noah's, the, the, the world that Noah lived in. Do you know why? It was not because of sexual sin or immorality. It was because of violence, things that entertain us all the time. We take up that remote. I'm about to convict you. Come on, here we go. You take up that remote. And we turn on that violence. There's nothing wrong with defending ourselves. I'm not against that. You understand? There's a difference, though. There's a difference between us defending ourselves and understanding protectionism and us being a people of violence. God has judged people of violence in the Scripture. In fact, David himself did not get to build a house from the Lord because he was a man of war and bloodshed. And so his son Solomon had to build the temple. You read the story. 
And so all David could do was make preparations for his son. And so he made preparations with all the cedars of Lebanon and everything. He put it all aside so that he could somehow be a part of the legacy of building a house for the Lord. But God did not let David build his house because he said, you're a man of war and bloodshed. He was not talking about David being a man that protected his own. He was not talking about David being defensive and helping those that were hurting. He was not talking about him protecting. He was saying something happened in his soul that made him a man of bloodshed and a man of war that went beyond the boundaries of what God intended for him to be. Make no mistake, God did judge David for that. He destroyed the ancient world in Noah's day because of violence and We see the same in Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 23. And he's he's bringing on these woes to all these cities that he's ministered in. And he says, and you, Capernaum. Capernaum's a city, a well-known, established, religious Jewish city in Jesus' day. Kind of a home base. Jesus had been there many times. And he's speaking this woe. It's sort of a judgment, a, a pronouncement, if you will. And Capernaum will not will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles, hear this, if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, Sodom, the place that God judged, the Bible says fire came down and, and just consumed this place. God judged that ancient city. He's saying if the miracles that, that had occurred in, would occur in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. I I just, I want you to capture that tonight. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, says this. He says, if the miracles that you saw happened in Sodom, I would not have judged it. It would not have been judged. The apathy that this people must have had. He's speaking to a people that were pious, that were religious He's talking to a people that considered themselves upstanding and possibly outstanding. He's saying something to a people that your apathy has gotten you to a place where you can see a miracle and it do nothing to you. And there are those that have been judged in the past, in the ancient world. They would have responded. They would have done something. They would have gotten gotten moving and repented in dust and ashes. The apathy and the unbelief was so powerful, they did not respond to Jesus, and he pronounced a judgment of sorts upon them. This kind of apathy is found in a prayerless and a pious heart that does not seek for change for other people, other people, not just ourselves. The word is numb. Have you ever been numb? I have. I grew up with a guy, my parents um, became sort of a legal guardian of sorts for two young guys that grew up in Washington, D.C. when I was in high school. And the reason that they moved to Washington was because they ran in street gangs. And I was like their first white friend, you know, which was cool. Uh, And they were my first friend from Washington, D.C. But I learned from them that Washington, D.C., except for those few miles, is not, you know, the best place to live necessarily, according to them. But anyways, uh, one of them, the reason that they had moved, one of them got shot uh, six times. The gun was called a calico. Basically, some guy sprayed up a whole schoolyard, and he got shot multiple times. He got shot in the hand. Now, I know this is a crazy story. You're wondering why I'm saying it. Just follow me. 
He got shot in the hand. My friend, he lived with us. We lived with our, our family. He got shot in the hand, and it uh, severed his nerves in his hand. And we, we used to, I know it's terrible. I was, we were just horrible kids, but we used to make fun of him because he could just smash his hand on, like, almost anything, and he could barely feel it. His hand was numb. He could do crazy things with his hand. And uh, he couldn't feel it. He couldn't feel it. He had one, but he couldn't really feel what it did, or he couldn't feel the pain that it inflicted or was inflicted upon it or him. And uh, this is what it's like when you're numb. You can't feel the pain. You can't feel, you can't feel something, you understand? And, and I think that what happens to us sometimes in our world, and if you're like me because you live in the world I live in, sometimes we grow numb. And we read the, the paper just the other day. You know, eight people were shot up in, these, in Atlanta. And, uh, and I know people are making uh, the, the news, the media wants to make it. Um, they, they, we skip over the fact that eight people were murdered because we want to prove a narrative of racism, which I hate racism. And yes, we need to stomp out the racism against Asian Americans, black Americans, and white Americans. We need to stomp out the racism, and we need to come against it in the name of Jesus. But let's not forget eight people died, whether they were Asian or white. I just feel like it's another reason that people can use this as a narrative to kind of politically spin their thing, and we, we forget them. Now, I know you may not hear it the way I'm hearing it, but I just, it's, it's almost like it becomes a, a means by which I can use this on my social media to prove that I care about uh, coming against racism. But do you really care about the eight people? Or does it just fuel your narrative that you're so angry about? You understand? I feel like we're in a weird world. And I question that stuff. I question what people are saying because I don't always feel the heart of the Lord, the compassion of the Lord, the love of the Lord, the desire to see people come to know Him and walk with Him. I mean, if we care so much, and I think we've grown numb. You know, it, it, we read the paper and another eight people died. You know, we just move on with coffee. And I, that's me. That's my heart. That's, sometimes I hate that about myself. It doesn't touch me. It doesn't affect me. It should. It should. Because we're letting another narrative or, or, or we're, we're sometimes the, the story that is being told or the agenda and the ideology kind of wears us down, which is why we've got to be so immersed in the word that God's heart is so full of rescue. God's heart is, is call, he's calling us to press in for people and pray. And then you hear this in the, in the world, you, people that pray, that's fine, you can pray, but Act, do, do something else too. Like as if prayer is some sort of passive activity that nothing happens as a result of it. You understand? Like what a lie. And I, I believe that we're in a time where no matter how it is you're sort of being directed right now, the consequence is anger or it's numbness. It's being numb. And we've got to watch ourselves. We've got to watch our, the, the temperature of our hearts. And, and, and people that stand in the gap are people that are being filled with God's love. And that's what draws us to prayer. You know why we know this? Because we pray about the, the things, the situations, and the people that we love. If your family member gets sick or something terrible happens to them, you automatically go to prayer. You don't, they don't even have to ask you. 
Does anybody in your family have to ask you to pray for them when you know one thing is wrong? Not if you know God. I mean, not if you pray even a little bit. You, you just automatically feel a sense of helplessness. Like you, you can't reach into their body and just make them well. I mean, the healing power of the Lord can, right? But that's what I'm saying. You've got to pray that the healing power of the Lord gets released. So you have to reach into the Lord. And you do that. We do that automatically when somebody's sick in our family. Why? Because we love them. And I would tell you what happens to us in prayer is that when we find that maybe like right now, maybe there's a, maybe there's a hatred or an anger that has been pursuing us over the last period of time. Maybe it's political. Maybe it's racial. Uh, maybe it's born out of fear. Maybe it's born out of a family situation or a disappointment. Wherever it comes from, maybe there's an anger that's just hot on our trail to lay hold of our heart and tie us down to something that we were not supposed to be like or act like and nothing we really want. But that thing is trying to drag us down. And the demonic opposition is very real in our lives, wanting to attack us and come against us and lie to us. And maybe that thing is, is happening and it's in hot pursuit, but we've got to recognize that we've got to lay hold of something greater than all of that. And as we're connected to the word of God, and as we begin to pray, even in that place of anger or frustration, even in that place of numbness, even in that place where we don't feel like we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, or we don't love our family member as we ought to, or we're not loving our city. Come on, that's why people want to escape right now. I don't love my city. I don't love my state. I don't love, I want to go to a new place. I want to go somewhere else, you know. And it's sort of this, it's this confession that we don't love. Let's just be real for a second. But I'll tell you what happens when people begin to love. And I'm not saying we love behavior that's sinful, but I'm talking about people. And as we begin to pray over people in our city, in our state, in our region, in our nation, all of a sudden a love starts to emerge. And we know this. This is what kickstarts our love. If you don't, you pray for something that you love automatically. But if you find yourself not being drawn into the place of prayer or like you don't have a love for something, if you start praying for your city, your neighborhood, your family, something will overtake you and it is the love of God because when you start to partner with God's heart, your kingdom come, your will be done in this person's life. Your kingdom come, your will be done in this situation. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my neighborhood and in my city and my state. We start to take authority in the realm and the arena of our love. And when that happens, God begins to speak to us. My question is, is God going to release words, weighty words, prophetic words, powerful words, words of revival that we begin to carry for our city and our state? If we hate them, I want to remind you of the heart of Christ tonight, the ultimate intercessor. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans chapter 5. He didn't wait for us to get better. Jesus saw all of the wickedness from the time of Adam and Eve all the way until today, or at least the time that he came. And the plan of God outside of judgment was to judge the son. And so Jesus comes and he takes on the sin of the world. He became sin. 
so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is profound. This is profound love. And while he's on the cross, he says something absolutely crazy. Father, forgive the people that are killing me, for they just don't know what they're doing. If they knew what they were doing, they wouldn't do it. Jesus gave himself. Nobody took his life. He gave his life. And I believe that he's calling his people to give their life for people that have sin, for people that are not living righteously. Come on, somebody, like you. He's calling people to stand in the gap and to stay in the gap until something changes. Friends, I'm preaching some good Christianity to you tonight because that's not what everybody's saying right now. And for some reason, there's an unbiblical Christianity that I believe is going around the nation that is hard for me to fathom and understand. Why is it that we're, we're moving away from the Lamb? Why is it that we're moving away from the cross? Why is it that we're moving away from the true power of the Lord? Why are we moving away from what Jesus the Christ himself did? We've got to be people that stand and stay in the gap. Jesus was on the cross. I'm going off script. I don't have one anymore. You understand. Come on now. I ain't got one. So I'm, not, I'm almost done, I promise you. Because I, I want to ask God to release a prayer movement on us. People that just prophetically will stand in the gap. I don't want to be up on the shore. I want to stand in the gap till the river starts to flow. Ask for God to move. And I, Jesus was on the cross, and he's between two thieves. You, you know the three crosses. And they're giving him some flack. One of them ends up responding well. There are the soldiers there. They're mocking Jesus. You know, physician, heal yourself. You healed others, heal yourself. You remember the mockery that's coming? This dark day for Jesus. You healed others, why don't you heal yourself? Why don't you get down from that cross? Why don't you come down from there and show us who you really are? They did not know why he was hanging there. I want you to think about that for a moment. If they could fathom what they were saying and to whom they were saying it, and the reason why he was, he was not made to hang on. He was choosing to hang on the cross. He was in the gap right there on the cross. Jesus was in the gap. And he was in the gap while we, and if it was we, if it was you, or if it was me, we would have been saying the same thing. We might not like to say that, but it's true. We would have been saying, you healed others, why don't you heal yourself? Come on down from the cross, miracle worker. There was a point where they took the sponge. You remember the sponge? And they, they, put, they filled it with wine. And maybe in compassion, we don't exactly know, but it would seem as there was sort of compassion to numb his pain. They put it up to his mouth, and it says he refused it. He took the full weight of his pain. He stayed in the gap. Right now, maybe we are experiencing, as Christians, we're experiencing some pain some discouragement, some disillusionment. And there's some wine of the world that's being offered to us. And Jesus is telling us to resist that numbness and to take the pain, to stay in the gap, to stand in the gap, to be where he was and to be where he is. But we've got to choose 
to be in the gap. Amen. We've got to choose to be there. But choosing to be there is resisting the fear that others are carrying. The fear to f- that f- causes us to flight. The fear that causes us to criticize and judge. Aren't you thankful that the one we're following is not judging the world, but he's inviting men and women full of sin to come into relationship with him? And he's, in- he's releasing a profound vision again upon his body to say, I want you to carry faith that is greater than you've ever known to believe that darkness can be turned into light, that hard hearts can be turned into radical believers of Jesus Christ. And for people that believe those types of things, I mean, that used to not be radical Christianity, but let's just call it that today. For people that believe those kinds of things, those are the people that are going to stand in the gap, and they're in between the place that we are and they're believing for that place that we can come to should God move in power. When we talk about revival, we're not talking about goosebumps and cool meetings, which I don't want our meetings to be boring. I don't want to die of boredom. I don't want to come here and just be bored with you. I want to worship Jesus the King. I don't want to have boring sermons. I want to speak truth. I want to hear you speak truth. I want to have fellowship with people that are sharpening each other because we know we're living in a time where people need us to be fully alive. We've got to choose to be in the gap. And lastly, we must become people that literally stay in the gap. You do not need a doctorate in ministry or in theology to do what I'm saying tonight. You just don't. You don't need a degree of any kind. You don't need an intellect Uh, that's greater than than the most well-known apologist of our time. What we need is bold and courageous hearts to lean into Jesus the Christ for his mercy to extend into a place of prayer in an unrelenting way. While some people are taking a stand these days for God knows what, I believe the Lord is calling us to take that knee and to stay in the gap in that place where I just believe that people are fleeting out of that place right now. And he's calling us to stand in that place, to stay in that place. Our enemy is a fault-finding spirit, a critical spirit, a divisive spirit. We're fasting today. If you joined us in our fast, you know it was about unity. It was about unity. And I have never seen such a fault-finding spirit energizing the people of God like I've seen today. I have never seen a divisive spirit like I have seen today. I have never. I have seen it, but I have never seen it to the magnitude that is literally sweeping across the world right now. The Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses the brethren. We are people who have encountered and experienced mercy. Why are we not people who are crying out for God's mercy? You say, Ben, I am. Keep doing it. Amen. (laughs) Come on, I'm not indicting you. I'm pleading with us to continue to be those people. Fault-finding spirit, critical spirit, divisive spirit, judging, dividing. I'm I'm not talking about us closing our eyes to sinful behavior and, uh, and being able to discern properly. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, sin is sin. Wrong is wrong. The Bible's clear. Thank God that we have it. But when we see sin... Our response to it is, oh, God, pour out mercy. Oh, God, transform. Oh, God, would you change? When you have a son or daughter 
that is not walking in the way of righteousness, what is your response? First, it's grief. But I, I, hopefully it's prayer, right? Amen? It's not just, well, you know, uh, you know how it is. They're going to be bad until they turn to good. So uh, we'll just wait around and see what happens. That's not good parenting. I know that sounds bad, judgmental, but that's like we need to turn if that's where we're at. Just judge. No. We've got to use our last breath to cry out for our children if they're not walking in the way of righteousness. And so we've got to think of people in the world that these are people that potentially would be God's kids. And this is the heart of our Heavenly Father over those that are lost and son, lost daughters and sons of God. Every, I was reading a statistic. I'm, I'm getting ready to close, Jared. I'm getting ready to close. I don't know how many doors I have in the sermon, though, but I am getting ready to close one of them. No, come on up. Come on up. <laughs> I always have fun. You know, the preacher goes, I'm getting ready to close. And then you realize 20 minutes gone by, you're like, how many doors has this preacher got in his sermon? <laughs> he already closed a few of them. I'm sorry. I was reading a statistic, and uh, we're going to go to prayer. You ready to go to prayer in a minute? We must realize uh, every 10 minutes, this is not that old, every 10 minutes some very disturbing things are happening in the youth of America. 105 kids, these are based on a whole lot of statistics, so I'm summarizing. 105 kids will quit school every 10 minutes, okay? 618 high school seniors uh, are smoking weed every 10 minutes, getting high. That's the gateway drug. 20 girls between ages 15 and 19 become pregnant. 20 girls every 10 minutes in America. Five of those girls will give birth to illegitimate babies. There's, there's Obviously, they're being born into that. It's actually statistics are a little worse than that. Eight out of those girls will have abortion, okay, almost half. And they're convenience abortions, almost all, 90% are convenience abortions. Don't let the media lie to you, right? When they talk about rape and all that stuff, it's 90 plus percent are convenience abortions. If somebody told them that's, that's how you deal with what you did when nobody was looking, that's how you deal with it, right? Act like it never happened. I'm going to tell you something. I've met with plenty of people that have had abortions, when I was a young man, I walked through that situation with, with a young lady. You don't just forget it. You don't just wipe that away. That's not how that works. You understand? You don't do that with anything. And the only one that can redeem us is the Lord. And we want to change these. I'm, I'm sharing with you these stats because we've got to, cha- to change things that are statistics to see that shift Not just to read it and go, that's terrible, that's bad, we know how bad it is. And to talk bad about bad takes no faith at all. To label the sin of the world takes no faith at all. Jesus didn't wasn't in heaven saying, Look how bad the sin is to his father. Look how horrible that is. Oh, I'm not he died, he came into our world and he gave his life. This is what Jesus did. And this is what he's calling his people who follow him. We rush into this place of standing in the gap saying, oh, God, because we understand that grace and mercy is more powerful than sin and darkness. Friends, do you know that tonight? Come on, we know that tonight. Ben, chaos is there. I, I, I wrote, uh, you're going to appreciate this. I wrote this for us as we go to prayer. You know, the old school song, some of you like hymns, so you'll appreciate this. So, this is an issue of lordship. 
what I'm talking about. Standing in the gap is an issue of who's Lord. Convenience, comfort. Maybe some of that's gone and it needs to stay gone in our life. I want to enjoy, but I, I want to enjoy the things of God more than I ever did before. And so I was thinking about these hymns and how maybe we would say them. When Jesus isn't Lord, you know, we sing, we sing I surrender all, but that casual Christianity is I surrender some. Lordship. Fill my cup, Lord. You remember that one? It's like, I don't know about a cup. Just, just fill my spoon up, Lord. Oh, how I love Jesus, and we just change it today. Oh, how I, I like Jesus. Could you sing that tonight? Oh, how I like Jesus. How about he's everything to me? We move that song to he's quite a bit to me. Quite a bit. I love to tell the story. You guys know this one? I love to tell the story. How about I love to talk about telling the story? Take my life and let it be turns into take my life, then let me be. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I'll consider following. How about just as I am or just as I pretend to be? And the beautiful, when the saints go marching in, when the saints go sneaking in, I wrote down. I know that's a pretty terrible. I was trying to lighten it up at the end here, you know, but it didn't work, did it? Being people that stand in the gap, people that come under his lordship. When we sing the song, just as I am, we come just as we are. When we sing, take my life and let it be, we, we mean it. God's calling upon our commitment and our profession of faith in this hour. I'm telling you, listen to me. I don't know if you want a prophecy about how great we are. We stand in lines for prophecies today. You know, we've been doing that for years. I was part of that. And we want a prophecy. Tell me I'm amazing. Tell me I'm awesome. The word of God says it. Jesus on the cross says, you are valuable to me. Now go and be like me, right? And I think it's really hard for us to continue to be renewed in the value that we have in the Lord when we're not being conformed to the image of the Lord. In our distance, we continue to question whether or not God loves us like he truly does, he just constantly is drawing us near to be like him because that's satisfaction. That's life. That's how we were created to be. And so if you feel uncomfortable, and today I believe the Lord is calling upon our profession of faith. He's calling us deeper to be drowned, to be submerged into his lordship and not look back, not long for Days gone by, but long for the future of full surrender to him. I, I'm telling you the truth tonight. If you want a prophecy, this is one. God is calling us, not knee deep, not waist deep, not shoulder deep. He's calling us all the way in. He's calling us all the way in. And so there's a lot of people that are getting their feathers ruffled, a lot of people that are resisting, a lot of people that are fighting. We do that in the flesh, but we've got to let that go and stand in the gap and when we surrender, when we say yes, we can stand in the gap for other people because we're not resisting God. But if we spend our whole Christian life resisting God, we're never serving God. Standing in the gap. So tonight, let's stand. And prophetically, let's stand in the gap. We come to prayer every Wednesday night. 
And I know sometimes it's hard to come. You know, it's hard to come because you're like, oh, you know, and something will come against our mind. And whatever that thing is, we just got to resist it. We've got to put it in its place. We've got to understand where it comes from. It's not from the Lord. As we continue to come and we yield to prayer, the Lord is going to use our time. He's going to use our intercession. He's going to change the world. God will change the world when his people pray. Father, we thank you tonight in the name of Jesus. And we just prophetically, Lord, we stand in the gap. We're thinking of all the people in our life. We're thinking of all the people in our family. And you don't have to wait for me tonight to pray. You go ahead and pray too. We're thinking of all of those that you've called us to pray for, to love, to reach, to share with, to be generous to, to show forth the fruit of the Spirit, to release the gifts of the Spirit, the reason that you've made us powerful witnesses so that we could be witnesses of Jesus Christ. We're thinking of everybody that we would ever touch, everybody that we would ever talk to. The reason we want to be a good example, the reason that we want to give our lives away is is because we want to enter into your heart and we want to give our lives away because we're following you and that's what you did. And so tonight what we do is we stand in prayer and we stand in the gap and we say we're going to stay in the gap and we make a commitment to you tonight, right now, that we are people that stand in the gap. We are people that stay in the gap. We're not moving to the right or to the left. We're not perfect. We haven't done it right. I haven't done all of this right, but we will not escape to some other place, some utopia idea that is not real. We will not try to do that. We will not act like that's true. We will stay. And so we pray for Federal Way, and we pray for SeaTac, and we pray for Auburn, and we pray for Milton and Edgewood and Seattle. And, Lord, we believe that a bright day is coming. We believe that the glory of the Lord has risen upon us And that, Lord, you are streaming people to yourself. You are calling people to get caught in the updraft of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we pray people into the kingdom tonight. We pray for those that are lost. We pray for those that have lost their way, that used to follow you, that got offended, that got wounded, that got disillusioned, that got disappointed. We pray for them tonight. We pray for young. We pray for old. We pray for those that right now are going to be tuning in this week and watching and listening. And Lord, we just pray even those online. God, we unite our hearts together as your people because we have a purpose to reach people. And so we do that first in prayer before we do that in proclamation. Hallelujah. We worship you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.